What is happening? Welcome back to Creating Space. I'm your host, Wes Knight, and I've got a real-life superhero here. I'm not kidding. This is Jessie Graff. She is a professional stunt woman. She has competed on American Ninja Warrior, being the first woman to ever complete stage one. She was a collegiate scholarship athlete at the University of Nebraska as a pole vaulter. She's an overall badass, and i got to figure out how she got so lucky to be chosen to be superhuman. Jesse, grab. What is happening? Welcome to Creating Space. Hey, how's it going? I'm so juiced to have you on the show. I've been watching your YouTube links of you crushing American Ninja Warrior. You are incredible. Can I start by saying, first of all, what's it like to be the first ever woman <laughs> to create stage one? It's crazy. It's such a weird experience because um, in so many ways, I feel like I'm I'm not doing any more than the other women have done. Like, I'm not the strongest on the show. I'm not the fastest. And, you know, we all train together and share training tips. And, and you know, all the girls have something that they can beat me at. And, and I, I don't feel like I'm the best, but I'm the one who everything went well for that day. Right. Um, if I have any specialty on Ninja Warrior, I feel like it's figuring out how to put the pieces together when the pressure's on. Mm. And and I'm mostly grateful that, that the pieces did come together for me on the right night at the right moment and that I got to hit that buzzer because all the consequences of having this interaction with like hundreds of of kids and their parents all over the country who send me videos of their little girls doing pull-ups and climbing ropes and doing obstacles and being like, she wants to be the next you. And, wow. and like kids that weren't active before that now are, and they'll send me their progress on their pull-ups and push-ups and all that stuff. And it's just, it's amazing to have that kind of impact on well, kids. Watching an athlete go into the flow state where they shut off and they just get into the flow of whatever it is that is their level of mastery. Michael Jordan in the fever game, Kobe Bryant in his 81, 82 game. Watching you, you could tell that you were connected to the tasks and you were fueled by the audience and you were in flow. Do you remember much of that time or did you, did you black out? Hmm. You can't black out. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so many little tiny things that j jump up and surprise you at the last minute. Um, and when I'm planning for a Ninja Warrior course, because you know, like there is only that one shot. And if one tiny thing goes wrong and you're not ready for it, the whole thing's over. And it's such a dramatic difference because you only get one shot that one time a year. And so the way I prepare for it is I just watch as many testers and competitors as I can. And I, I predict every single thing that I can imagine going wrong. And then I figure out what positive action do I need to focus on to prevent that from happening? Is it like the timing of the steps or the angle my foot needs to go at? How many degrees does the propeller rotate before I can transfer my weight to the rope? And I almost make a song out of the rhythm of each of these verbal cues that I give myself. So it's like, that's, that's in the back of my mind. And it's so drilled in that I don't even have to think about that. Um, wow. And I can focus on those momentary things when I'm like, oh, this feels completely different than I expected. And oh, this is why everyone fell at this moment or, or my breath on the log drop and um, having all those details that you normally would have to focus on just so anchored in from hours of studying it and planning it. Um, allows me to be more open to the last minute changes. Just drop it into your subconscious mind and let emotions, let uh, your intuition take over. And then you're operating on a whole entirely different level, preparing yourself for the next task. I guess this is what makes you great. It's such a science. <laughs> You've broken this thing down to a science. Can you tell me, Jesse, how did this all start? Where did this all begin? Um, I, I guess I was like, 
my parents always described it as I was a painfully shy kid. Like I would hide behind my mom's skirt under tables. I wouldn't speak to adults that I didn't know. I just didn't know how to interact with people. And it it terrified me. Um, And my parents brought me to the circus when I was three or four years old. And I saw the people on the flying trapeze. And I was like, dad, I need to do that. And it was the most certain I'd ever sounded of anything. And he like, I mean, Whoa. what are you going to do? Bring your kid down to the ringmaster? And he's like, all right, well, <laughs> if you want to do it, you're going to have to go talk to the ringmaster and ask him yourself full confidence that there's no way I would do it because I didn't do that kind of thing. And I go, okay. And then I like marched down the steps to the, to the center of the ring at the circus and asked him if I could do it. And he said no. And I cried. And my parents were like, okay, we need to find circus classes for this kid. And um, we lived in New York City, so they actually had that kind of thing. And I got to take circus classes, and I was immediately in love with it. And I would ask whatever questions I needed to. And, you know, that's how I learned my communication skills because I wanted to be amazing at this trapeze and in order to learn, you have to ask questions. And, um, and then I started inviting my friends at school to come take classes with me. And, you know, if I went to a new school, then I would be playing on the monkey bars and they'd be like, Hey, that was a cool trick. And that's how I learned how to make friends. Um, and from there it became competing in gymnastics and then pole vaulting in high school and college. And I've just always had this fascination with movement and be, like the freedom of movement, movement that you get when you watch like Jackie Chan running across the screen, flipping and climbing across things. It's like he can do anything. And I've always wanted that. So anytime I see someone doing something cool, I'll I'll walk up to them and be like, hi, this is awesome. Do you mind if I copy you? <laughs> how do I do what you just did? <laughs> how do I do this? And they usually think I'm weird, but most of the time they're like, yeah, sure. Here's how you do it. Or sometimes they're like, well, I'm kind of focused, but as long as you stay out of my way, I don't mind. Well, if I'm doing really cool pull-up workouts in the park and an attractive blonde-haired girl comes over and <laughs> asks me how to do it, I think that I'll find time to teach her how to do that. So well, when, I, when I, you ask, like, how did you get so lucky? That's, I guess that's one of the ways. I'm very lucky. <laughs> that people have been very kind sure. in teaching me their skills. I, I, I can imagine it's not the hardest thing you've ever done. Um, tell me this, when you were a little kid and gaining this confidence from being good at something, I remember that as well as a young guy. Um, I wanted more girls to like me and I had, <laughs> I had acne and space in my teeth when I was younger. I was Girls not. like guys with skills. <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> both have skills, right? But um, uh-huh. yeah, so... I wanted to get better at soccer so that more girls would notice me. I didn't like being the guy left out from all the pretty girls, right? Um, As you started to come into your own and become more confident as a young woman, what were the first ways that your talent started to help your social skills? Um, it was, it just gave me something to talk about. You know how much easier it is to have a conversation with someone who's passionate about what they're talking about. I suddenly had this passion. Um, like ask me anything about gymnastics and I'd be like, Oh my gosh. So these are the four (laughs) events and this is what you do. And this is the scary one. And this is the hard one. And, and it just gave me something that got me involved and animated. And, um, I guess just gave me a topic that I wanted to talk about. Um, but then having that friendship with, you know, we're all learning these new skills and they're terrifying. And then you have like the coach that's like your mom. And then the coach that's terrifying because like they yell and, and just, that team camaraderie of like, especially with gymnastics, you're in this, this sport where it feels very life and death. Like when you're learning a backflip off the beam, if you do something wrong, I was pretty sure that I was going to hit my head on the beam and die. And, you know, I had several months where I avoided learning this skill because I was just, I I was going to die if I did it. It was just certainty. And I cry every night about it because like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to have to do this skill and then I'm going to die. Or I have to quit gymnastics, and neither of those things were an option. So um, what got you over the fear? <laughs> what got you through that fear? It was finally this one day when the coach forced me to do it. And like I did the ugliest version of this cartwheel back tuck off the beam and didn't die. And after a couple tries, he started spotting me. I learned how to do it. And within like 20 minutes, I learned this skill that I'd been avoiding for months. Mm. And I just had, that was one of the biggest 
discovery moments of my life when I realized how much time and like emotional effort I had wasted avoiding doing this trick when my coach told me I could do it. And I swore to myself that I would never let fear stand in my way like that again. And I, I made it part of my identity that I'm the kid who, when my coach tells me I can do something, I don't care what my brain says, I'm doing it. And love that. I love that. <laughs> And it's, it's a huge part of my identity now. So, so that is I, why Creating Space has been created. Uh, I was so afraid of stepping away from the life of a pro athlete. I was debilitated by that thought. And it was myself making, convincing myself that I couldn't do it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I understood that I had to stop getting in my own way in order to step into the life and get above and beyond my fears to really get into the life that I could see, but I was too afraid to begin. I love that, Jesse. Now you're, now you're looking <laughs> for new fears and you're just trying to take them down. Not a lot of people have that talent though, and it's a muscle that needs to be grown. What are some other things in your life that have been pretty fearful for you, but you've decided to, to chase after them? Hmm. I mean, I guess when I first... What was it? Maybe like learning to do things unrehearsed. I, I, I always knew I wanted to be um, a superhero on TV from age 12. I, I would watch really? Buffy and Zena. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to be just like them and be the hero and save the day and do all these cool tricks and flip off trees. Um, and so when I went to college, at first I majored in aerospace engineering, which was interesting, but not really my thing. And I always knew eventually I was going to get back to acting. So majored in theater. And for a while, like, I felt like I was doing everything right. But my grades were, I was used to getting straight A's, even in physics and calculus and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And they were telling me everything you do is so practiced and rehearsed and it, none of it feels spontaneous or authentic. And so my new homework assignments became like, don't look at your homework. You're going to do this thing tomorrow and you have to improv the whole thing. And I was terrified of it because I mean, in gymnastics, it's like you have one floor routine that you do the entire year. Everything's right. muscle memory. It's rehearsed so well that you don't have to think about it. Right. And learning to be emotionally vulnerable and open and go on stage having no idea what's going to happen and having to react to it. Um, that was terrifying. And <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a lesson I had to learn in acting. It was, yeah. Just there is nothing worse than being <laughs> extremely naked or like vulnerable in front of everyone, especially when you're such a creature of habit, right? I'm, I'm just like you where I know I have to get myself into a routine. If before a game, if I didn't go through my routine, to a T, I would feel like I would have a terrible game and I'd literally be convincing myself of, of defeat just because I didn't go through some of the processes that had given me success before. So I know just what you're talking about when it comes to having a, a level of comfort with a routine and then getting taken out of that. As we move along in this, I want to get back to that moment you said at 12 years old, you knew you <laughs> wanted to be a superhero. Can you walk us through that moment? Um, I don't remember the moment. I just remember I watched Xena religiously. Like I, every week I would videotape it or like with our VHS, I'd record it and I'd rewatch it. And I, I would go in the backyard and she always did this wall flip where she'd run up the tree and do a backflip. Right. And you know, she had a sword and she did these flying sidekicks. And so I'd mimic everything I saw her doing. I cut my bangs and I would do my braids to look like her and I'd go run and do flying sidekicks into dead trees and try to knock them over and <laughs> swing a stick around like a sword. And it was at looking back, I love how, you know, I was mimicking like these surface aspects of what she did, but also absorbing this idea of wanting to be a hero and look out for the little guy and fight the bad guys. And I, it's, I've, I've actually never been in any fights in real life. Um, but yeah, there was I don't think time. I'd fight you either. I think I'll, I think I'll chill <laughs> well, on Well, I that. don't like hurting people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the one time that I had an interaction with a bully was he was, it was right around that time too. Um, he was picking on this girl who just, he, she didn't have any friends and all, everyone always made fun of her. And he was just like slapping his jacket at her, just like whipping it at her. And she looked like she was going to cry. And so 
this is sixth grade. So we're like 12, 13 years old. And I was like the tiniest kid. I was probably like 55 pounds at the time. And so I run up and do this like huge round kick and kick the bully. And he just (laughs) turns around and he's like, did you just kick me? (laughs) Like he was so shocked and confused. And I was so small that it had no impact, but he was just like, whoa. And like, just walked into class. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm really confused right now. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, it was just, I loved this idea of being the good guy and fighting off the bad guys when you have to and so when did you when did you realize that this dream that you had was actually really attainable it never occurred to me that it wasn't like there was never a moment where i was like i don't know if this is a realistic thing i think it over time i gradually became more aware of how difficult it are it is and how many obstacles there are um and but i was kind of raised in an environment where you don't really evaluate whether or not something's possible. It's if you want it, what are the steps it takes to get there? Mm. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, talks about having that desire, the burning desire to chase whatever it is, and that failure are just practice shots. So it's mm-hmm. just figuring out a way to take better shots that will, in some time, end in success. So I like that mindset. Is that a mindset that you have in everything you do? Do you see no boundaries in all of the things that you take up in life? Or are there some things that you realize that just aren't in your wheelhouse? Um, Well, there's a lot of things where I recognize how much work it would take to get good at it. And I'm, I am aware of the fact that I just don't care enough to put in that much work. Right. And so like, I will never be a good basketball player. (laughs) <laughs> now, yeah, if I dedicated myself to it, I just don't love it enough to put in that much time and effort. Right. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm probably not going to be a very good skateboarder ever. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by it, but I have higher priorities, um, things that I am more naturally good at. And there's there's some things like tricking. Have you seen like the martial arts trickers where they're doing all these like funky off-axis, twisty, flip kick kind of things? Yeah, I've seen it's those. one of the most. I, I think I know what you're talking amazing. about. Amazing. Yeah, I'm in love with it, and I've tried it and worked on it, and it's something that does not come naturally to me. Right. And I love it so much that I will figure out a way to do it. And if I like, I'm probably never going to get as good as the top guys at it. Right. But, but there's something so fascinating about it that even if I don't get good at it, I really love the process of trying to learn it. I like I think, that. That's probably my biggest life lesson that I've ever learned is that people always say it's about the journey. It's not the destination. And I I found that I really do enjoy the journey more. Like my favorite part of a journey is that moment right before success where it's like everything's in your reach, but so much could go wrong, but you're fighting for it. And it's like constant, complete focus. Right. And recognizing that that's my favorite spot to be makes it more fun to have unrealistic goals. How do you recognize that that's the spot you're in? I love what you're talking about, but talk (laughs) me through how to know and be consciously aware of, okay, I'm in this space and a breakthrough is about to happen. Um, I, I don't know if I even focus on identifying when I'm there. It's kind of, it's learning to enjoy the burn of an exercise versus the satisfaction of having achieved the strength. Got it. So it's like when you're doing a set of pull-ups, if your goal is to do 30 and you're on 28 and you're fighting and you can't make it up on that, on that 28th rep, enjoying that moment of like fighting for it and knowing this is where I'm gaining strength. This is where I'm getting the most strength and I'm trembling the whole time and I can't <laughs> move and knowing that's, that's the most productive place to be. And yeah, I mean, if I'm aiming for 30 on that set, I'm probably going to get frustrated that I'm not getting well, 30. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I've like... seen you do a pull up with yourself and your mother. You were helping, yeah. you were holding yourself up and helping your mom do a pull up. It's the most incredible thing. So I think you could probably do 60 pull ups. That wouldn't surprise me. Someday. One day. I'll take a while. Is she the biggest influence in your life? Who's had the biggest impact in your life? Yeah, definitely my mom. Um, She's just always been such an example of 
being in impossible situations um, and not really acknowledging whether it's possible or not possible, just looking at what's the first step to survive this situation. Because um, we lived in this house in the middle of the woods on a lake in northern Pennsylvania where we routinely would get snowed in with no electricity and just like the snowplow would literally get stuck in the snow on the way to our house and block the road so that no one could get in or out. Right. And it was just like a regular thing. And so, um, you know, she would teach me how to keep the fire going while she cross country skied to the nearest road to pick up groceries and ski back carrying all the groceries and like medicine for my brother. Yeah. This is like, you know, you look at the situation and you're like, Oh yeah, well mom can do it. Mom can do anything. (laughs) So she would cross country ski to the grocery store. Not well, not to the grocery store. Like she'd have a friend who drove and she gave them a list and then, but then no one could get down our road. And so she'd have to go like a mile or two to get to the closest road. Wow. And then ski back carrying stuff. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. She's always been amazing like that. And, um, and every spring after the ice melted on the lake, it would carry the two ton docks, like we had floating docks and we'd tie them to the trees. Every year we tried different methods to tie them tighter to the trees on the shoreline. And every spring the ropes would break and the ice would carry them all the way across the 400 acre lake. And there's no motorboats allowed on the lake. So every spring my mom and I would get in the rowboat and I'm like, 10 and couldn't I don't know I couldn't reach the oars very well I always wanted to row I couldn't really do it um and so she'd row all the way across the lake we'd tie up one of the docks and then we'd row all the way back by hand and then put them back where they belong (laughs) so your mom is actually the first superhero you are just the second version with maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a power punch behind it but that's incredible (laughs) what are some of the things that you have taken from your mom that you carry with you on a daily basis? Um, well, we definitely have like, if, if you have a dream, if you have a goal, then it's, it's like the obvious choice. You go for that goal. Like she was, she lived in Tennessee. She grew up there. And when she wanted to be a Broadway dancer, she just moved to New York. She didn't know anyone. She didn't have connections there. And like her family is all in Tennessee, but it was just like, if you want to do this, you move to New York. And so she moved without hesitation and, and like, didn't have money. So she made her own yogurt at like, she made, I don't even know how that's possible, but she made yogurt. (laughs) Um, Who is this family? Like what is happening? This is incredible. I have the coolest family. (laughs) But so it was, it's just like, I've, it's been sort of a natural tendency when I, when I finished college, it was like, okay, well, the stunt industry is mainly in LA. So you move to LA. Do I know anyone here? No, not yet, but you meet people. And then if, if I found a new gym where like, this is where the coolest stunt people train with the best skills, well, I would move three blocks away from that gym. And then if there was a new gym, I'd move to that gym. Like love it. it's just wherever your goal is, you go there. And that's kind of hyper-focused. I love that. I have that same hyper-focused. I needed to get closer to Charlotte, North Carolina to start to get away from the athlete life that I had before where I was living up near the lake and I needed to get into the city to get more involved in starting to meet people in the industry. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Maybe it's not to that degree, but I, I love the hyper focus <laughs> aspect. You started to mention a little bit about the stunt life in California. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about some of the hardest trials that you've been through as you've grown up in this industry, really. Hmm. So I worked at a gymnastics club that had open gym for stunt people in the evenings, four nights a week. So I would coach there for five to eight hours a day, like kids camps, and then train with all the stunt people for four hours. And it was it. And then I found out about all the gyms that there were to train at where stunt people worked out regularly. And there were like eight or nine regular ones. So I signed up at all of them and I would just get up, go to one gym, train there drive to the next gym, train there. And it was typically five to eight hours a day, just training different skills. Um, And then the way you meet stunt coordinators is you pretty much find set, you walk on like you belong there. 
you find the stunt coordinator without interrupting anything. Cause if you, if like, if they get on the walkies and they're like, Hey, we need the stunt coordinator over here and he's busy, you've now interrupted things and made a very bad impression. So it's like, you have to, you have to get in there carefully and right. meet them, give them a resume, have a nice quick conversation and then leave before you get in the way. Wow. Um, and so anytime I was driving from one gym to the next, if I saw production signs, I'd like sneak on, go meet someone, say hi, get out of the way, go to the next gym. Um, and it was just full immersion in stunt, stunt industry, um, all the networking events in the evenings. And it wow. was just, and I wouldn't call it hard because it was all so inspiring. Like most people go to hustle. We call it hustling when you go on set and meet the stunt coordinator. And most people go to hustle with the, the mindset of I have to meet this person so that they'll give me a job. And I find that very stressful. And I always thought of it as these are the amazing people that I want to be like, the people who are doing the job that I want to do, who have crazy stories about the stunts they've done or the backgrounds they had or how they got into the industry. And I want to go meet them because they're amazing people. Some of the some of the best conversations that you can have is when you meet those idols and you they can tell how excited you are to meet them. It gives you kind of a leg right. up in the sense that they're enjoying the way that you're making them feel, right? Yeah, definitely. Cause I, I mean, I was just so inspired by the things they've done. Um, and yeah, that does make for a good conversation. For I was sure. sometimes nervous about like, it was easier when I was newer too, because I wasn't really expected to know anything yet. I was the new kid. And so right. I could freely ask questions without people being like, well, you should know this by now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, that was, that was how I got into stunts. Got it. You got started uh, not only being a stunt woman, but also a ninja creeping through those auditions or whatever, getting on set and finding who the stunt coordinators are. Can you hear my pig? <laughs> By the way, Hold creating on. space tribe, you guys can't see this. If we're on the podcast, she has a pig, a pet pig. <laughs> and This little pig has been just hanging out with her the entire time as if she's a dog. Jesse, tell us a little bit about your pig there. <laughs> Her name is Sam O'Hog. She's named after one of my favorite action stars, Sam O'Hung. He's um, a Hong Kong martial artist in awesome. a lot of Jackie Chan's movies. Awesome. Um, but yeah, Sam O is kind of like a cross between a dog, a cat, and a toddler. She uses a litter box. Um, she's super clean, really smart. She knows how to sit, stay, come, get up on the couch, down, uh, turn in a circle. Uh, no way. And she doesn't shed. So she's a pretty ideal pet. How did you go uh, about deciding that you would have a pig and not a dog, a cat or anything else? Um, I've, I, I was initially thinking a dog or a cat, but I have, I have a couple of roommates and they are all home way more often than I am. And uh, they're the only reason that I'm able to get a pet because like the past six or eight weeks, I've probably been home like 10 days. And I was working like eight of those days, <laughs> like 14 hour days. So I, I really couldn't have a pet without my roommates. And so their, their contributions were like, we can only get a pet if it doesn't shed and it has to use a litter box and it has to be cuddly. So, um, <laughs> that so, pretty yeah. much pointed straight to the pig. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't even know of any pets like that, but, um, yeah, one of them discovered pigs and did all the research. So I left out. <laughs> So you talked about 10 days straight, 14 hour days, eight of those 10 days, you're working, working hard. That's a mindset. That's a love. That's a passion fueled, uh, occupation. What are the keys to having your mindset into your success? Um, <laughs> the keys. basically Jesse, walk us through about how you're so awesome. You know, <laughs> let's get to the bottom of your awesomeness. Um, well, if I had to identify uh, the only superpower that I actually have, it would just be like the passion and determination, like loving what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work. And then if it does feel like work, remembering how lucky I am to be doing it and all the good sides of what it is and, um, and just really appreciating how hard I worked to have this opportunity. Um, so like, it's, I mean, it has been hard the past 
couple months, I guess, because it's I like I've had a couple days off, but for the most part, it's been 12 to 14 hour work days or nights. We've been working mostly like anywhere, typically around 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. ish, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes later. Um, so I'm just basically having time to drive home, go to sleep, wake up, drive back to work. And, you know, I mean, the thing I love more than anything else is working on new skills, gaining skills, getting stronger, getting faster. And um, when you're on set in wardrobe, you do have to be really conscious of keeping your wardrobe clean. And like, it, it's a professional environment. You can't sure. just be doing full on workouts in the middle of, of everything. Right, right. But, um, but I also can't afford to get weak because especially at one of the jobs that I'm doing right now, we get so many surprises last minute where the director will say, oh, we would like to add this this flip right here, but we want you to go off this wall in this direction. And I'm like, I, I don't even know if I know how to do that, but <laughs> let's figure it out. And right. so for something like that, my legs have to be fresh. I can't risk being super, super sore. So like the biggest thing I miss from back when I didn't work as much is just that I, I can't risk getting super sore. Um, right. Normally, like if I, if I didn't have a job like this, I would be pushing to my limits every day and then going to work and like slumping in a chair and doing whatever <laughs> I did on the computer, um, which I probably, I don't know. I don't think I can handle that honestly, but, um, but, but yeah, so it's been challenging to get my leg workouts, but I can usually find a corner where it's not too intrusive to like go behind a curtain and do pushups. And so for the past month or so most of my workouts have just been like whatever workouts I can do on set without getting in anyone's way so sometimes it's like calf raises and air squats pistol squats sometimes it's as many push-ups as I can do in a day I found a pull-up bar in a bathroom stall a couple weeks ago I think it was actually a handicap railing love <laughs> it I love but, it but I did 261 pull-ups that night. I love it. Listen, Jesse, I, uh, I have started what's called CLT Freeletics. CLT stands for Charlotte. It's called CLT Freeletics. It's all about helping to raise the awareness for people in Charlotte that you can work out wherever, whenever, and for no charge. Because I'm very passionate about using nature and using the environment for that. I would love at some point if I'm ever out in, in California in the next couple of of months to get out and get into a workout, a Jesse Graff workout and see if I can <laughs> keep up with you. That would be incredible. Um, I love your work rate. You know, it is Christmas day that we are having this conversation. Yeah. And when we chatted on our initial discovery chat, um, I said, okay, well, what days work for you? And you're like, listen, I, my, my schedule's so busy. Actually, holidays are the only time that I can do this. And I go, <laughs> I love this chick, man. She, she's just ready to do it whenever. And so we have allotted this time for this interview um, on Christmas Day. It's just what you're about. You're about the life. And I love that so much. But it's a sacrifice, Jesse. And to do this life, you have to sacrifice other aspects of your life. What have been some of the things that you've had to sacrifice that uh, you wish maybe you didn't have to sacrifice? Um, I, you know, it never feels like I'm making a sacrifice. Like when you put two choices in front of you, like, do you want chocolate cake or do you want to beat your pull-up record right now? Like beating my pull-up record sounds so much more appealing that when you have that direct choice, I like, I'm going to choose the validation of getting stronger. Uh. Um, the only thing like in hindsight, looking back is, um, like I, I always do choose like whatever my hyper-focus goal is right now, because it's just, it, I get so swept up in the momentum of having something that I love that I'm working towards and achieving something great that like, that's all I can think about. I don't, I don't even notice what I'm giving up. Um, but when I look back at the periods of time where I've been so hyper-focused, the thing I noticed that I did miss out on is adventures. When I don't have something, a big goal to fill my life with, I'll be like, you know what? Let's get an inflatable canoe and paddle 800 miles down the Mississippi River. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> that's and not like, where I thought you were going, but that's way cooler. <laughs> 
or, you know, there was, there was one time where I'd been working so hard. Like I'd had my biggest year of stunt work ever and I was exhausted and I was like, that's it. I'm going to Thailand. And I was Whoa. like, I don't, I don't know anyone there. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I found like a Muay Thai training camp and I popped in and I worked out and then I heard of like this jungle survival training place. And so we went into the middle of the jungle and learned how to build rafts and shelters and found wow. rope swings and did like explored a cave. And then I found this guy who street performed with Tony Jaw, and he became my coach for three weeks where I just like lived at his gym and he taught me how to do Thai style film fighting. And so it's just when I don't, when I don't have that hyper-focused goal, I like roll with the wind and jump on whatever adventure appears in front of me. And that's, that's like a really cool lifestyle that I also enjoy. Um, and I love having a mix of it, but I, I rarely find a balance. It's kind of one or the other. Sure. So as long as as long as eventually they both mix in, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Well, I love having the hyper focus as well. But the biggest sacrifice I think in my life that I've had to make is learning how to compartmentalize time. And mm-hmm. I love grinding, and I love fitness and exercise and building, creating space in the platform and being of service to everyone else, that it's really hard for me to find time to devote to building a relationship or anything like that. So I was curious to wonder if there were things that you haven't been able to focus on because your hyper-focus has been so laser pointed in in the direction of being a superhero. Um, so it's very cool. It's very cool to see that your time off, you spend it being adventurous and going in new places. What are some of the things in your recent past that have been really some big aha moments where you've thought, man, I'm so glad I just learned this lesson. Okay. Some of one of the best worst moments of my life was in 2014. Um, when I had had like this huge day of work, like 17 hour work day doing fights and then like huge workout day the next day running hills and doing kicks and all this stuff. And the next day I'm like, my legs feel like jello. I should go to Taekwondo class and do jumping, twisting plyometrics. Great idea. (laughs) So I blew out my knee. Um, yeah, tore the ACL, MCL and meniscus and basically felt everything in my life come to a screeching halt because my job is obviously high impact stuff. My love and my passion is my job and training for my job. My social life is working out with friends who are also doing all of these things. And what am I going to do? Like ACL surgery is a 12 month recovery. Um, and I've, I've had injuries in the past where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this time to study fight choreography online and write down like all my, all the coolest fight moves that I want to learn, start choreographing fights, storyboard for a short fight scene that I want to shoot all this stuff so that when I'm healthy, I can come back into it. But a year is a long time to spend mentally studying the stuff that you physically want to do. And I knew I could not emotionally take that like it would it would kill me to be so focused on this thing that you can't do for so long and so I decided that I needed to come up with some different goal something else I could focus on and physically work towards during this time while I'm waiting for my leg to recover and that's when I was like hey I had fun competing on Ninja Warrior that one year maybe I should build some grip strength and like make it an actual goal to do well and um, that's when I started posting videos, doing pull-ups, trying to beat my record every week. Um, And I started rock climbing because I figured if I'm in a harness on a top rope, then even when I fall, I'm sitting. So I can have this huge knee brace and completely immobilized leg, but I'm building grip strength and pull-up strength. Um, And I worked on my handstands and I started a lifting program because I was like, if my legs are so fragile that they can snap that easily, I need to be stronger all around. And so I started a full injury prevention program and I started studying like, okay, what are the obstacles on Ninja Warrior? Cause the first time I competed, I just like jumped in and did whatever and had a great time. Um, but I spent that whole year actually learning how to do obstacles and building grip strength. So I went from a maximum of six pull-ups to 20 pull-ups by the end of that year. Whoa. 
Um, and then the next year I got up to 30, but by the end of that year, the whole point, like it was just because I couldn't use my legs. I, I needed a goal that was upper body related that I could be excited about. And that was also the year that Casey Catanzaro completed the, like the qualifying course and the city finals course. And it kind of blew up and it was like, Oh, this is something I could really be interested in and like make a mark with. And so Um, I used all that time and it was just supposed to be a distraction. The whole point was just like, I need to stay motivated about something so I don't go crazy while I'm recovering. And I accidentally fell in love with it. And by the time I was healthy again, then I was like, oh, well now I need to get my legs strong so I can do better on the warped wall and stuff. And so I had a great season seven competing, got fully immersed in the ninja community continued doing stunts and then had an even better season eight and it's changed my life and made me better at stunts too. (laughs) I love the fact that you took the time to figure out other weaknesses and brought them into your strengths and has put you at the top. uh, Undoubtedly. What are the accomplishments throughout your life that you're most proud of? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm always so focused on the future goals that I sometimes forget about what I've done. And the, the one, it seems like a funny little thing that happened so long ago, but one of the things I'm most proud of is it was like my sophomore or junior year of college when I was trying to double major in exercise science and theater. And they both had this essential class that I had to take in order to move on to the next level or I'd get a whole year behind, but the class overlapped by 20 minutes. So like, And they were on opposite campuses, 20 minutes apart. And so I was told by all the academic advisors, you just have to choose one major because you can't do both of these classes. And I somehow worked it out so that I was allowed to sign up for both classes. And then like I took an extra lab and I would I would go to both. I don't even know how it happened, but I got A's in both classes that were simultaneous. And (laughs) (laughs) That is my favorite impossible task that I've done. It's probably Um, because they told you you couldn't do it, that you had to find out how to do it and get A's in both of them, right? And one of them was anatomy. Like, that was the hardest class ever. It was like that teacher would start, he would start lecturing when the second hand hit the 12, and he would pick up mid-sentence on the exact word he left off the previous day, and Every single word that he said was on the test. It wasn't like, guess which of the things. It was everything. No Everything was on the test. And so I would take furious notes the whole time and record it and then go back and listen to the lecture and put everything on flashcards. And I was, I think there were only four people in that lecture class that got an A. And you're one <laughs> I of them? Still, I was one of them. <laughs> I want to know. What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis that gets you to the Jesse graph of your life? For instance, I need to move the first thing in the morning. I need to get up and I need to go work out and I need to do it before I eat. It's just, I got to get up and I got to go and get moving. It gets this anxious energy out of me. It gets me focused. Is there something that you do on a daily basis that makes you better? Hmm. I feel like I don't have the luxury of having any routines. <laughs> just like wow. I it I, and having a routine makes life so much simpler knowing that like when I wake up I do this first and then this and it's just sometimes if I if I have to be at work at 5 a.m. and it's an hour away, I am not going to get up and go work out before work. Right. I'm going to have everything set by the door so I can I'm like sleeping in whatever I'm going to wear to work. I get up, I grab my coffee, I grab a protein bar and I eat it on the way to work and then find out what's happening from there. Um, Love it. And like, and sometimes it's just my entire work schedule is so chaotic that I just, I have no routine that I can think of at all. It's just, if I go more than one day without getting a good workout, then I like my whole body just starts stiffening (laughs) up and I feel awful. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm home and I have time and I can do my own schedule, then I'm going to, you know, get up, probably have my coffee, ride my elliptical bike up the hill, come back, do some abs, maybe get some breakfast, go to physical therapy and hang out with the PTs, do all of my recovery work, 
go to the rock climbing gym, come back, do my pull-up workout. It's all very free flowing. And so much of it, whatever my plan is for the day, it's going to get turned upside down when somebody calls and says, Hey, we just got access to the roof of the highest building in LA. And we have a helicopter with a photographer. Let's go do tricks on the roof. Whatever my plans were are gone. Yeah. So you have those type of things that happen to you. Uh, regularly <laughs> that happened once yeah no way that's <laughs> awesome what is that like with a helicopter and tell me a little bit about that time well we weren't allowed to hang from the helicopter at all so we were really just doing like all the same tricks we do on the ground but much higher up in the air wow uh, yeah so it was it was fun we got some cool pictures um but i'm still i still have a couple things i need to do hanging from a helicopter that haven't happened yet just, you know, my my list of dream stunts. I don't even want to know. The thought of heights <laughs> kills me. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was on a Lululemon hike and we went hang gliding and it was the worst 15 oh, minutes of my life. Man, I was that freaking sounds out. amazing. I looked at this guy from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was talking to me and telling me to chill out. And I, I told him, look, guy, you got to take me down. I I can't i'm not i can't do it <laughs> so i can't even imagine hanging upside down like you would probably do from a helicopter that would terrify me okay i have a story that you're gonna love all right let's so see. when i i think i was around 12 at this time too and i had noticed that i was like i had just had state competition for gymnastics and i was like trembling on beam because i was so nervous about falling and I was like, this is not okay. You can't have the kind of nerves that are going to interfere with your ability to perform at your best level, especially when it's important. And I was like, how do I get not afraid of falling off the beam? And my obvious solution as a 12-year-old was, well, you should practice your beam routine on the peak of your garage roof where it's much scarier. And so I, I actually learned how to do my whole routine. I could do like my straddle jump and my back handsprings and everything on the peak of the roof. Um, but I noticed that if I stood with both feet on the peak and looked up to where I lost sight of the tree line, I would get that like vertigo stomach drop feeling because right. my, my body was disoriented. And I was like, that's, that's a problem because what if a bad guy was chasing me across the rooftops? I don't want that kind of feeling <laughs> interfering with my ability to function at my highest level. And so I stood there, I stabilized got oriented and then looked up and got that dizziness and stabilized and then got looked up, got dizzy and stabilized. And I kept doing that to kind of build a tolerance to whatever that chemical is that is released by the body that causes you to get disoriented. Yeah. And because I, I just was sure that if I got used to it, I would eventually not have that getting in my way when I'm up high and it works. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Graf, it has been, my pleasure hanging with you, getting the depths of your mindset, talking a little bit about your journey. Um, I appreciate you taking the time on Christmas Day to come on to Creating <laughs> Space and talk to the Creating Space tribe. As we round this thing out, Jesse, if you could give a couple of words to sum up what you would like the Creating Space tribe to leave with, something from you, what would it be that you would want them to take from this uh, this story? Hmm. Probably do things that scare you and you're always either getting better or getting worse or sometimes both. So I like to always have a couple goals that I'm working towards so I know I'm always getting better at something because that feeling of beating myself and improvement is probably what gives me the biggest high in life, even more than jumping off a cliff possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but jumping off cliffs is not a realistic everyday thing, but right. you can beat yourself at something every day. So even if it's like a random thing that you've never tried, like how long can you balance on your toes on one foot? Not like tippy toes, just like, like if you lift your heel off the ground, Sure. how many minutes can you balance? Is it like 30 seconds? Is it a minute and a half? Find out what's your record. Try to beat it on the other leg. Okay, great. Moving on. Try to beat it next week. And right. just like, I just like knowing all my records at random things. And if I'm having a day where I'm really tired, then I'll pick something that I've never done before. So I can be like, Hey, my new record for how many times I can, what do you even call it in soccer? When you like headbutt the ball, a header, yeah. A header. Like, the ball, how many yeah. goals can I do in a row? <laughs> like, 
whatever I did today, that is going to be my record <laughs> because I've never tried before. But it keeps you challenged and improving and gaining skills and strength. Love it. Jesse Graff, you are the ultimate competitor. You're a superhero. You're super inspiring. Where can the Creating Space tribe find you on the internet? All of my social media stuff is Jesse Graff Power, J-E-S-S-I-E-G-R-A-F-F-P-W-R. You are uh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to Creating Space. And I'm not lying about that workout. When I get to Cali, I'm going to hit you up. And I would love to get through one of your routines to see if I can even hang. And I know I can't, but I'd love to. Did you say you're in North Carolina? I am in North Carolina. I'm in Charlotte. Okay. Yep. Well, my mom lives in Southport. No. So, so um, next time you're <laughs> next time you're coming to visit your mom, I'm coming to where you are. We're gonna get a we're gonna get a workout in, and I'm gonna see if I can hang with you. Is that cool? Excellent. Yeah, as long as you teach me some soccer ball drills. <laughs> I'll teach you one of those headers. We'll get you we'll, – okay. we'll see what your record is at the beginning, and then we'll see what your record can be at Perfect. the end. Perfect. All right? Jesse Graff, yep. you're wicked. Thanks for coming on to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Bye. Wow. Jesse Graff's story. It's incredible to listen to what hyper-focus will do for you, your career, and your lifestyle. It's obvious that Jesse does not waver from the goals that she has set for herself, and she has a burning desire to capture everything that she puts her mind on. There's something really to take from that. I believe too many of us give up at the first sign of failure, the first sign of friction. And if there's anything you can learn from Jesse Graff's story is that at any point she has felt a challenge, she doesn't move away from it, she actually moves closer. It's a peak performer mindset. It's the reason why she is one of the biggest badasses on the planet. I think we can honestly make an argument that Jesse Graff is superhuman. You can find her on any of the social media platforms, Jesse Graff Power, PWR. Make sure you connect with her. Let her know how much you enjoyed listening to her mindset and reach out to us. Let us know any of the peak performing mindsets that you want us to dive into. And I'll go out and I'll chase those peak performers and I'll bring them on a creating space just for you guys. I love this creating space tribe. I'm going to do everything I can to keep your level of interest high. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll see you again for Mindset Monday next week.